The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Foe. And I'm Damien Sassauer. And I'm Dan Schwartzman. Michael Barr is off today, but he's missing a big one. So, Michael, we'll save some for you, but we've got a big uh, conversation coming up, Damien. We we, kind of do. Uh, We are talking right now with Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, one Steve Young. Young, back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 50. The 10. He dies. Touchdown 49ers. Steve, welcome back to the business of sports. Well, my pleasure. It's been uh, I, I've been trying to merge the two for you know my whole life. So uh, this is, you just you just described my life in in two words: business of sports. I guess that's three words. Steve, well, I mean, look, you are in New York City. You are here downtown today for uh, one reason and one reason alone to visit with us. No, I'm kidding. You're here because Mavella, a leader in movement digitization, is ringing the bell of the NASDAQ this morning. And you rang the opening bell. Congratulations. Incredible. For anyone in our audience who doesn't know, Mavella is a leader in dynamic visual graphics. I mean, Avengers, Man of Steel, Star Wars, Ted, Men in Black. They've even done stuff for Ted Lasso, Mandalorian. I mean, and, and there's gaming. a link between business and sports again. FIFA, Madden, yeah, think about, you know. Think about, yeah, think about digitization of movement. They put the suit on and they can make it. In, they usually have to have a, a very set circumstances to get them the digitized movement. I put the suit on and I ran around. I threw the ball and they and they put the avatar of me throwing the ball and you and I said to myself, "That's me." And that's what's really cool about it. It captures your movement. And I think it's going to have something to do with, you know, Movella is going to, you, you don't mention the movies, the entertainment, emerging entertainment, that's happening. That's their core business. You talk about what could happen out in the future, like injury prevention. What's ha- like, they show me a knee sleeve that they could send to somebody. They show the movement and it can see that your movement is going to be a knee, you're going to have a knee problem in 10 years. And it's prevention. So there's all these other applications that are kind of cool. So anyway, we rang the bell. First time for me, I was fired up. Is this a metaverse play, Steve? <laughs> yes. Oh my Absolutely a metaverse Steve play. is in touch with and his digital self. <laughs> Well, no, but that's exactly. But think about it. I, I'm excited. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get my buddy Jerry Rice. I'm going to get the 49ers. We're all going to get in the suit, and we'll digitize their Amazing. movement. You know, we'll get George Kittle. This. We'll get Debo. We'll get these guys, and then they'll see themselves and the avatar of them. And when you can see when you can see yourself in your movement in the in the in the metaverse, that's where it kind of gets cool. It's like it's immortal. Your movement is now immortalized, and that's what's fun. Steve, I got to ask because I will never ring the bell unless Michael Bloomberg takes me up with him one day. So when you're standing, I, I watch it and I'm always amused because everybody's got a smile, good day or bad day. Everybody's got a smile on their face and they keep clapping. Do you know when to stop? Like what? Like when's the measuring stick to stop clapping? So because I'm like, the when NASDAQ, does they stop? I will tell you, the Nasdaq has a woman that very much could go right to Disney World immediately <laughs> and just manage like whatever show show they've got going. She's very good, and she's got and she just she she preps you. You warm up. You're like, okay, let's try, let's cheer, and then she's like, not enough. Oh, man, let's go. You know. It's a, it's a, 
thing. You know, Scarlett, there's a little no fact about Steve Young. You know, Steve was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. He played for BYU. While he was with BYU, he actually replaced the legendary Jim McMahon, all this kind of good stuff. But Steve played high school. Are you ready for this, Scarlett? You'll love this. Mm-hmm. Greenwich, Connecticut for our beloved Greenwich Cardinals, really? right? Where he was an all-state quarterback. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. He, Steve even pitched a no-hitter his senior year against the dreaded New Canaan Rams. Ooh. <laughs> now, the reason I mention all this, Steve, is because our audience, mm, quite, quite a large percentage of it probably does hail from Fairfield County. But, yeah. you know, look, I'm talking about our amateur athletes here. I'm talking about sports gambling. I'm talking about NIL. I'm sure you saw, you know, the latest, latest kind of judgment with Michael Cloud and you yourself, your history, um, you know, with, you know, our youth and w- with developing these athletes, you know, how do you think sports gambling and NIL and, and its arrival is really impacting the future of these, you know, th- these professional athletes? It's the Wild West. And especially for young, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old athletes, we used to generally protect them uh, from the madness. And now the madness is, you know, upon them. And it's early. And they're going to have to, we're going to have to figure it out with them. And we're going to have to give them the resources to try to empower them in some way so they can make decent decisions. Like, it, it, it's all the madness that you could expect. And the difficulties and the and the look. I look at gambling like it's an it. it look, there's Gamblers Anonymous. Like gambling, it can be an addictive thing. Mm-hmm. And so for kids who are not fully formed, their brains are not fully formed. I mean, it's a very very dangerous world right now. We always knew. Look, technology's done that. Like there's a lot of danger around the world. We just got to figure out how to empower people to make good decisions. And and now we have to do it for 16, 17, 18 year olds, even 15, 14 year olds who are you know showing incredible talent. They're going to get recruited. There's going to be money floating around. There's going to be stuff that, you know, just and now because it's the Wild West, there's no one. The NCAA can't do anything about it anymore. Yeah. So in that way, you just it's going to be who has the most money and who you know and all the parts of it, the nefarious parts of it, all the negative parts of it are coming, and uh, those stories will be hard to watch. And it's going to be messy for a long time before there's a shakeout. Steve, I, I want to talk a little bit about your post-NFL career in finance, because as you've pointed out to us in the past, you've had a career that's in finance that's now longer than uh, your playing career. And right. so really, you're a veteran of the finance world. And this week, we got news that Serena Williams is joining a PE firm. Uh, there's a definite trend of former pro athletes moving into this particular corner of finance, yeah. private equity. Uh, Serena Williams, Eli Manning, you, of course, with uh, founding HGGC in 2007 with Rich Lawson. What is it about private equity, this part of high finance, that taps into the strengths, the network, and the skill set of former athletes? You know, it's funny. I, I, I was playing for the 49ers, and Power Bar was a business that had been started by Brian Maxwell in Berkeley, California. It was essentially, you know, you know, Power Bars now. It's uh, it was for marathoners to eat while they were trying to r- run, and I use it for meal replacement. And he put me on the board, and on the board was Warren Hellman and Larry Sonsini, two titans of wow. Silicon Valley, yeah. and that's where I left the law because I'd been to law school. I thought I'd be a lawyer post uh, career and went into business. And that's where I learned, and those guys really encouraged me. And private equity was a, equity was a place that really resonated with the same kind of things that I was dealing with on the field and trying to get people to you know, cross the goal line, all the metaphors that you hear. The locker room and everything else felt like this similar in private equity. The challenges, how difficult, the people-centric nature of it. Um, and my friend Bob Gay at Bain Capital gave me the opportunity to transition, and now I'm on my sixth fund, and uh, we've got $7 billion under management, and we've been at it for a long time. Like you mentioned, more than longer than I played, and I'm just grateful 
for those guys that just the Titans that, that turned me towards this. It was Roger Staubach, my hero, told me, you know, I said, what's the advice, Roger? He had been very successful post-career. And he said, run. Just run away. Don't hold on to it. They'll, you'll always be, you know, the NFL will always follow you around. You don't have to worry about it. But you run away and try to create something else. Because the fact is, when you retire, the next day you're not good at anything else. So you have to do the work to be humble enough to say, look, I'm going to start over. And I did that. I started over and now, you know, 22 years in private equity. Steve, you are a success story of somebody that had a great playing career, but then also, of course, has had a successful career post-playing. You hear so many horror stories, though, of guys playing in the NFL, making money, then ending up bankrupt. A large percentage, sadly, do lose their money. Who do you think is, besides individual responsibility, should kind of pick up that mantle of trying to teach these guys about investing in this and that? Because so few guys coming out of, I think, professional sports in general have a clue, and again, they end up with nothing. So is it the Players Association? the leagues, guys like yourself, retired guys who have been successful, who do you think should maybe try to pick these guys up and say, look, don't don't get a restaurant, don't do this, yeah, you know, be smart with your right. money? Dan, Damien, Scarlett, you guys got to keep asking this question. This is a <laughs> vital question for people that are playing the game today to how to transition. I am, I, 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 look, it's a nascent idea for me. I'm starting a fellowship, and what I'm going to do is build a repository of everyone's story that I can get a hold of, of transition. I don't care what it is, success, failure, because the guys playing today need to hear what happens. What did you do? What, what, what are the risks? What are the failures? What, what, how do we get through it? It's a, I, I describe it as a death. When you're one of the best in the world at something and then you have to give it up in your mid-30s or late, late 20s or even mid-20s, and you have the rest of your life, to, and you've been successful, and you've been to the top of the mountain, and you want to go there again, but you don't have any expertise. You you've just described it. It's a it's a mess. It's a it's a it's a it's like a a bunch of bones at the bottom of a cliff when yeah. it, when people retire. And I, we've got to empower financial literacy. We've got to, you know, I know Goldman's trying to do some things there. Uh, there's people around that I you asked me a very emotional question that I've been trying to answer and try to answer effectively, and I'm on my way to doing it, <laughs> trying to get the people around me to help me, you know, so that we can be, you know. Uh, there's great. I, I was at a, uh, a gathering of old 49ers the other day, and Kirk Scrafford played tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. You didn't know that. And he's a guy from University of Montana. And I ran him to Kirk, and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm in Guatemala. And I'm like, what are you doing down there? I started some ice cream stores. <laughs> and he's like, he's doing it. He's making a living. He's doing it. Yeah. And it's like, that's the kind of, so he's my, st- I want Kirk Scrafford's story <laughs> yeah. so that people can hear. Well, how did you do it? What were you thinking about when you were playing? And so we're going to, we're, we're on our way here. I, I'm Steve. announcing something, and I'm very nascent, but that's what we've got to do so that we can empower some of these, so all of these young players uh, and young men and women to, just so they can hear it, because they're scared. They don't know. They're not, you know, financial world seems like a black hole. Like, they're just scared. Like, what do I do? And then, then of course, nefarious behaviors come in and come like, there's a cat farm in Mexico. That'll be perfect. That'll be great. Like, no, don't do it. You know, and it's like, I use that metaphor because that happened to me when I retired. Wow. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.
Steve, Steve it's, you know, diffi- it's difficult enough for, you know, players in their post, you know, post playing career, you know, re- post retirement, you know, to make it in professional, you know, in the professional world. But, you know, it, it's difficult enough without, you know, being plagued by something like a concussion, you know, and you played with them throughout your career. And I will never forget that vicious hit you took on the third week of the 1999 season. I think that was the yeah. last play you had in the right? NFL. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And that was the final. With, and look, it's a violent sport. I think that it, and the league has tried to make it safer for, I think, a good solid 15, 20 years. They've been trying to make it safer. It's changed the game. Uh, it's more wide open and, and, and uh, less, uh, you know, the quarterback, I would love to play today. It would be wonderful. <laughs> but the, the injuries are real. The injuries are real in high school, uh, for soccer, for hockey, for any sport. Do you think the NFL is doing enough? I mean, is the We've question. We've learned a lot. I know you want to say it. I, think I know, is, I know. I mean, I have to ask it. it. You know, you're but the only – yeah, I, I, I look. The NFL is it's on their mind. There's no question. It's right. a focus. Yet, I I, uh, I I see Dr. Sills who runs the NFL's kind of uh, health and wellness, and I'm like, there's there's objective testing for head injuries that we've got to get on the sidelines in the blue tent. Yeah. So that it, there, it's out there. It's being used. It's being used in college, and we need to have. And it's scary because if you take the test and fail it and you tell everyone you still feel fine <laughs> and you're out of the game and now you can't get back until you can pass it. Impacts your career. Kind of impacts who you are yeah, as a player. testing we have to have. Yeah. We have to think about as empowering the players because as much as we have you know, neurologists, world-famous neurologists on the sideline, it's still subjective. Yeah. And the brain is, it's impossible to see inside the brain, but we have objective testing to be able to do it. We've got to put it in the blue tent. So I wonder if... Um the makeup of ownership might contribute to movement on that, uh, a sense of urgency on that. And I bring this up because I, I noticed the NBA is allowing institutional investors, sovereign wealth funds, pensions, endowments, and PE firms to build passive stakes in teams. Mm-hmm. And we know PE firms have a well-established role in European sports. But the NFL is an outlier. It pretty much is family-run, right? right family-owned. Yeah. What needs to happen for the ownership there to consider letting big funds invest in its well, teams? And would that change the way that they respond to things like you were just yeah. talking about. Scarlett, you've seen them. You've seen some of funds emerge for some minority stakes in NFL teams. Mm-hmm. So the NFL is allowing that. They haven't allowed kind of the traditional ne- uh, private equity to get involved. Right. I think it's inevitable. I think the market's been made and uh, owners are getting aware. And I think that the league is obviously in control of, you know, they're, 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 the, they're the big <laughs> the big game in town. And so I think, but I think in as a, as a controlled uh, market gets set, uh, I think they're going to open it up. I, I think it's inevitable. Is this now, a two-year uh, thing or a five-year thing? I don't think it'll change management. I don't think it'll. I don't. Management of the teams won't change because of this. It's going to be everything that happens in a minority position. Mm. Uh, you, as you can see, it's it's the American royalty to own a football team in the NFL, and I think that's going to be generational. I think very few will change hands, as you've seen over the last yeah. ten, fifteen years. One or two. Greg Penner's now running the Denver Broncos. Uh, uh, from the Bolin family, that that's uh, that happens. That'll happen periodically, but very, very rarely. And you can see the transactions are now at five, six, seven, maybe even ten billion dollars soon. Hmm. And the people that can make those transactions, you get that. But the minority stakes, I think there's going to be a real market for it. You know a thing or two about playing the position of quarterback, and uh, I'm a struggling Jet fan, 44 years old, hair is dark, he's getting a little grayer because alone, Steve, of it. He's not alone, uh, Here's the thing that I have to ask you, because you do have a connection with a young quarterback named Zach Wilson, you're both BYU products, I know you know him on a personal level. What has to happen there? All the talent in the world, but uh, he's he struggled in two years at Jets seemingly going for a veteran this offseason, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers yeah. fill in the blank. 
what do you think, for all the Jet fans out there that have this question, has to happen for Zach Wilson to be able to, I guess, figure out the talent to succeed in this league? First of all, one of my main men at ESPN, Seth Markman, is a lifelong Jets fan, and I've kind of lived through him the last 20 years <laughs> that we've been together, and I didn't realize how much damage emotionally <laughs> that the Jets have done to their, to their fan base. I got a twitch. Jets, I, think the, I think the Jets should underwrite uh, ther- therapy it, it, for all oh, Jet fans. Steve, it's, it's terrible. Brutal. It's awful. I can't tell you. I've lived it through. I'm like, oh, this is really, this is real. This is not. This is not There's nothing. a new level of painful. It's a new level of like anxiety and distress and PTSD. And I'm, oh, I feel terrible for you. And Zach's not helping. Exactly. So I'm upset with Zach. You know, like he really did struggle. But I can Everybody needs help, and uh, and I don't know that they they're making the changes to kind of help, but he needs to figure out how to, you know, just have that confidence that you have to have in the in the in the playing field in the NFL. It's like it's not college anymore, and he's gone through some tough kind of emotional stresses, and I think he's I think he's going to come out the other side because you know how talented he is, and uh, but he's got to figure out how to um, manage uh, all the. You know, the expectations, I'll say, and that's a transition. Some people make it real easy. Patrick Mahomes, he came to the league and was like, didn't even blink. Right. Other people take some time, and and Zach's going to be the guy that's going to take some time. But then the hope is that that all that talent can come out when things get settled down. So um, I know the Jet fans. I don't. I don't blame you for the disappointment, <laughs> but uh, I have high hopes that he can kind of get figured out. I think they're getting the people around him to do that. And uh, I suspect they'll probably bring in a veteran quarterback to help that situation as well. But Zach's got to claw his way out of it. No one's going to help him do it. He's got to do it himself. Steve, last question for me. You talk about the NFL and the franchise values, and one of the most valuable franchises is the Washington Commanders. And there's a lot of turmoil right now with ownership with Dan Snyder. Some believe that the NFL owners may do the unthinkable and actually vote him out. What has to happen there, in your opinion, Steve? You're an opinionated guy in terms of helping the league, helping one of the storied franchises with a loyal fan base with Dan Snyder. Does he have to go? Well, it's going to be really <laughs> – these are – this is, first of all, it's going to be a legal issue, right? I mean, it's going yeah. to be – and uh, well, if you think about the uh, kind of the public perception, the, the league is very focused on that as well. And so it really is can, – can Daniel Snyder fight his way out of a, a really bad situation with a perception problem and then with the league and with the owners? I think it's all headed in the wrong direction, and I think that – They've, I think everybody wants it to transition, and they've got to figure out how to get it done. And I don't know that they can. I think that's why these are, these are big legal questions. I think everybody would like you know, ownership transition at the, at the commanders, uh, but I don't know they're going to get it. And uh, we'll, we'll watch that closely. But it's been a mess. It's been a wet mess since John Gruden's situation. It's been a mess, and it's been authored by the owner. And uh, he needs to stand for it. And I don't know if that's ever that 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 day of reckoning. I don't know if it'll ever come. Steve, thank you so much, Steve uh, Steve Young, for sharing your thoughts, being opinionated, giving us uh, your insight. Am I into... opinionated? I didn't know. I'm I... crying inside, Steve, after those comments on <laughs> the Jets. Here with you. He's there with you, Damien. He feels you. I know. That's why. We're, that's why I'm crying inside. Help him, Steve. <laughs> Help him. I can tell you, you just it should be. Uh, 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 Jet sponsored therapy. Like they should, they should put some, they should put some money out. To Damien's looking into Harvard right Business now. School study here. Woody Johnson's got the funds. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> it should be done by the team. They authored it. Steve <laughs> Young, cool. chairman of HGGC, and of course, uh, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback, NFL Hall of Famer, eternally. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Carl. Take care, guys. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Scarlett Fu, along with Damian Sassauer and Dan Schwartzman. Michael Barr will be back soon, but be sure to catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And of course, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Scarlett Fu. And I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer. And I am at Dan underscore Schwartzman. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. 